Welcome to the Elk Hunt Podcast with myself, Cody Rich. This feed is home to the best elk hunting podcast that I've done over the last seven years. And if you want to be a better elk hunter, then you're in the right place. If you want the blueprint that I developed after interviewing hundreds of the best elk hunters in the world and 20 plus years of my own hunting experience, check out my new Elk Hunt 201 course. It's a four-step system for doubling your success. It's a framework to give you a step-by-step system that you can build off of for finding elk, getting close to elk, and killing elk without getting lucky. This is not the end-all, be-all course. If you're a 101 level, no no expertise, no elk knowledge, do not take this course. Uh, this is zero fluff. It's my four-step system, right? So it's going to be over a few, a few of you guys' heads, but honestly, this is such a great framework to build off of. Check it out. Link in the show notes. All right, DJ. Welcome to the podcast, man. We're going to do a Wapiti Wednesday. You and I did a podcast, uh, I don't know, a few weeks ago. And uh, we, we kind of got off a little bit on, on elk, but I was like, yeah, we need to do a whole elk podcast because I, I love your energy. You're fired up about elk hunting. Uh, you're kind of in that learner mindset. So like, it's perfect. Well, and funnily, it, it was crazy that you just texted me about this last week. So quick little background. My old man is supposed to be coming. So I'm a BC resident and my old man lives in Ontario. And in order to bring family members to BC, you got to fill out this permit to a company. So it's not like the States where non-residents can just bounce around kind of wherever they want. And I had this whole moose caribou, Northern BC mountains, you know, fly into a lake hunt planned for months. There's been this kind of issue with the first nations treaty up where I was supposed to be going caribou hunting. And as of last week, it looks like they're not going to allow non-residents to hunt caribou this year. And so, yeah, and this could be, they're starting to set precedents where they're actually giving wildlife management control of some pretty significant areas over to the first nations, which I will refrain from giving my personal sentiments on that right now, because it's so early and I don't want to inflame a bunch of people for reason if something hasn't happened yet. But I will say that it certainly raises the potential for concern anyways. um, So I had to pivot last minute. Well, not last minute because we still have a few months. It's not till September. But my old man's dream hunt is an elk hunt. And I had him out here once before. We did a a jet boat hunt up the Musqua. And if anybody in BC, they'll they'll know the river I'm talking about. Um, Got skunked hard hard saw one cow heard wolves constantly for 10 days we actually watched that cow get ripped apart by three wolves like in a river blood everywhere it was it was insanity my old man had like the nat geo bc wildlife experience so i decided to go back to elk but it like raised all these questions because i still haven't really found my footing with elk in bc i've had a bunch of hunts which we can get into I've had a lot of failure, a little bit of success, but started calling some friends. And anyways, as of yesterday, I feel like I'm successfully pivoting and maybe we can get into like some of the details, but now I'm putting together this family elk hunt for September. So it was quite appropriate that you touched base. Cause I was like, Oh, this is great. Cause I'm definitely <laughs> like, mind is like fully engaged in elk mode right now. Yeah, it's top of mind. I mean, your, your top of mind should be stone shape, but we'll say top of mind is, yeah. <laughs> is elk right now. And one of the things, so, I mean, you have your own podcast for those who don't know, uh, go check it out. Uh, 
just a super knowledgeable dude. Uh, I would say, what do you call it? Adults on set hunter, but like very driven, very like methodical, practical, and like, uh, just very focused. And I think you do a good job of like, okay, here's what I need to focus on. Like you take, like there's some adults, I would say like some adult onset hunters that take it more seriously or better, uh, better equipped. Like you think about it in a different way. And I, I, like, that's why I, I wanted to have you on. I want to talk about uh, elk hunting with you specifically because it's like, man, you get into the, the nitty gritty and you think about things just like different than I would. And I get this um, from people who listen to the podcast. It's like, there's a difference between someone who's hunted their entire life. And this is like what they know, what they do. There's a lot of nuance that happens that I don't think about. Right. And so I love talking to guys like you and hearing the, like, like the very like thought, thought provoking way you like think, go about things. Right. And like the way you like break it down. Uh, And so, um, and I'm like, like, I'm not going to say you're like, I, I don't think anyone's the best hunter, right? I, I'm not the best hunter. I'm still learning. And I actually appreciate people who are still willing to learn uh, versus people who appear to know it all. Right. Um, because that, that's the thing about elk hunting. You never really master it. It's just like you, you figure out different right. ways to work. And then uh, if you're like me, you just change all of that. So you screw up every single year. And then that's like your eternal screw up. But, <laughs> but that's what I want to have you on. Um, we're going to talk a little bit, I guess, for the listener's perspective, give us like the 30,000 foot view experience wise and kind of like uh, what mo- some of your backgrounds in as far as like types, hunting styles, terrain styles and things like that. Love it. Sure. So, so high level view, uh, my, my dad's side of the family, the thing was an annual moose hunt. This is Ontario, Northern Ontario in Canada. And it would be like the week of Thanksgiving. And it was like end of the logging road, big wall tent, lots of beer, but still up at 5am like that type of right. hunt. And when I was a kid, all I wanted in the world was to go on this moose hunt. Um, and then finally went two years in a row. I think I was 13 and 14 or 12 and 13 forget. And in Ontario, moose tags are incredibly hard to come by. So it's normally like 10, 15 dudes group hunting, like one tag. And if somebody sees the moose, you shoot the moose and they would go years without one. They got one both years, a cow and a bull, the two years that I went and then basically had a falling out with my old man and that side of the family and kind of didn't even talk to them for 10 years. So for, for the, that was kind of the beginning and the end of my hunting experience but I kind of got the taste for it and I kind of got the taste for the wilderness and I didn't think much about it again. And then after university, I started tree planting in the summers, in the summers of university. And then when I got out of university, I just stayed in the bush. And for people who, who live in Canada, nor BC tree planting takes you to these incredibly like remote locations and you live in a tent for four months and work out of a helicopter and do all this really cool stuff. And so I started spending a lot of time in the wilderness and then I became a forestry engineer and I basically spent 15 years in the mountains in British Columbia. And I think I'm 43 now. And I want to say it was around my early thirties, like 10, 11 years ago when I started getting the bug to go hunting again. And I just started working at this company where there were a couple hunters because I hadn't even really known any hunters. And so met a couple hunters, told me what gun to go and buy. I basically start doing like day hunting for blacktail um, in the lower mainland around Vancouver and Chilliwack kind of area. And at the time I was in charge of, a, of an area called Haida Gwaii, 
Haida Gwaii used to be called the Queen Charlotte Islands. So it's a group of islands off the northwestern coast of British Columbia. You're actually right beside the Alaskan panhandle. Like on a clear day, you can see across the ocean and see Alaska. And on that island, they have an insane amount of Sitka blacktail. Um, you're allowed to shoot 15 deer a year. Wow. And they have an introduced population of elk from the 1920s that were actually also introduced with red stag. I have, really? a, I have a seven by eight. I should send you the picture afterwards. A seven by eight elk on trail camera with like stag like crowning. Dude, really? it's, I don't even know how big that like he's way over 350. He might be a 400 inch bull. I don't even know. He's gigantic. I'll, 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 send, I'll send you it afterwards. It's crazy looking trail cam footage. But when I was on Haida Gwaii, that's when I started to get fascinated with elk because there was an incredibly long rifle season and I wasn't a bow hunter at this time. So it literally went from like September 1st to November 15th. But they were way off in this weird like pond, to, you know, this, this backcountry area of Haida Gwaii. And, you know, so the first year we start day hiking in there. And then the next year we go in and camp out for three or four days. And the day after that, we go in and camp out for a whole week. And long story short, this kind of kickstarts my love of backcountry hunting because it brings the, like the outdoor wilderness challenge of forestry that I've always loved. But then it, it also, the complexity of having to worry about the food and the gear and all that kind of stuff. And right around the same time, and I'll give credit where credit is due. And it's kind of cheesy, but I started to find a couple YouTubers that were doing things like um, Gritty and Snyder had just started, you know, Gritty had started it, but really it was the Gritty and Snyder show at the beginning yeah. there. Um, I found the Hush guys. I found the, the Born and Raised Outdoor guys. And what the States had that Canada didn't have was this intense archery elk hunting culture we don't really have there's archery hunters in bc don't get me wrong and there is some like super studs but we don't really have any seasonal incentives so right. there's like you can hunt elk with a with a rifle every year like we get normally september 1st to 9th is archery and then the rest of the year is just and then we get this little white tail season in december for two weeks but other than that, there's almost no incentive to archery hunt. So the province as a whole is heavily rifle leaning. Right. And then I saw all these guys. And so the, the, the hunting style is also quite different. It's more spot and stock here, like long pokes, four or five, 600 yards. And then I saw how these guys were hunting elk, like the calling and the interactions and the running and gunning. And it was like super <laughs> physical and, um, I just became fascinated with it. And that's when I started looking into like, how could I go hunt in the States? And then shortly after that, I think Wyoming was the first state that I went to. And basically long story short, well, long story long, because I'm fairly certain I'm incapable <laughs> of telling a short story, but it took me five years to kill my first elk. And I went on seven hunts in those five years. And that's a combination of Canada, the States, solo stuff, backcountry stuff, one guided hunt that was like the worst experience of my life. <laughs> um, 
And then finally in New Mexico, I, I pulled a tag and this, this video is on, on YouTube for anybody that's interested. I pulled a tag in unit 36 and I went in there solo, killed a bull at 10,000 feet in the white mountain wilderness. And that was, and it was like, it was the text book, like calling back and forth, couldn't get him to break. He was, he was a solo satellite bull threw some cow calls back over my shoulder to the drainage behind me. And he just like on a rope came across and 30 yards, like pinwheeled them, went 40 year, yards and, and piled up. And that was kind of like the pinnacle of my elk hunting career. But I still feel like, I don't feel like an accomplished elk hunter because it's still in my own backyard. I have not figured out BC. I can, I've continued to go on several failed elk hunts here in British Columbia that, I mean, I could make some guesses as to why I keep failing. Um, but so yeah, high level view, that's kind of like the, you've done a little bit of it all. I mean, even in Wyoming, New Mexico, um, I mean, most of the, yeah, I mean, us, you've hunted Canada, which is some of the toughest elk hunting. Like, so you, you kind of experience a little bit of everything. Um, and we talked about this a little bit when I was on your podcast, but you know, I'd love to know, Looking back, like you can never change it because honestly, the drive comes from all the unsuccessful trips, all the work you had to put into it, right? And it it wouldn't it wouldn't taste so good to kill that bull at ten thousand feet if you didn't have all those failures. But uh, for all the people who are still struggling and failing, it's like you know what the I think the first question that comes to mind. <clears throat> excuse me, um, you know what what were you doing wrong and what could you have done better? I love this question, man. I love this question. I've been thinking about this a lot lately. One word, ego. I, in my mind, had an image of like what a real hunter was. And I thought anything that wasn't that image was a failure. And I thought that if I wasn't able to do it myself, my own way, the way that I'd seen... Cause that's what, and I feel for these kids and that's part of the reasons why I started a podcast and I have more failed hunts on my YouTube channel than successful hunts is because most of these like influencers and YouTubers put out constant barrage of success and it gives people the image or the perception that like, Oh, you just go out and succeed at this. Cause that's what all these guys do. And I'm not an idiot. Right. So why wouldn't I be able to do what these guys do? And what a lot of them aren't sharing is like, you know, how many years it took to get to that point or still to today, how many failures they have that don't actually see the light of day. And I think I wasn't, I think I thought asking for help was a weakness. Um, because I, I think it's okay to have a moonshot goal. Like I want to take an archery bull solo. I, what, where I think I failed or where I think there was room for improvement is that I didn't recognize that there was room in front for like marginal goals. You know, like how about going with somebody else on a successful elk hunt? Right. I mean, that sounds like a pretty good time. Why wouldn't that be a form of success? I mean, I do videography for my own and I thought to myself, what a miss. I know some like decent elk hunters. Why didn't I just offer to film a hunt? You know, like people trust me enough that I'm not going to steal your spot. I just want to come and learn and hang out for the week. And I thought, what an amazing way that would have been to like, go just be in and around 
successful elk hunters. And then, okay, so maybe that year I wouldn't have been successful, but there's an analogy here in my stone sheep hunting career. So I have not killed a stone sheep yet. I'm going on a 15 day solo stone sheep hunt in about two months. And I have shifted my perspective. And this isn't to say that I'm going to accept failure, but I've recognized that it's probably a multi-year plan to eventually kill a stone sheep. And when I was putting the pressure on myself of like, how do I plan the perfect hunt and find the perfect spot with the perfect lake and the perfect fly in, it was just creating all this stress and tension and pressure for me. And I was like, I, I, I don't know how to do this. And when I stepped back and I started looking at the map and I said to myself, what if you had five years, five hunting seasons, how would you look at this map? And then, and I'm like, okay, well, this is actually looking well, okay. I'd probably start down here. And maybe the first year I'd go in here and like cover off this area. And then the second year. And once I backed out and like gave myself the permission that like this one event is not the single determinant of my success or failure as a hunter. It like freed me up to look at it differently. And who knows, maybe that'll be the, the thing that unlocks and, and allows right. me to go and be successful this year. I'm certainly still going to hold myself to an incredibly high standard, but back to the original question, if I'd have been able to, to drop my own and listen, man, this is a little bit catch 22 because the same, the same things that compel me to success are the things that hold me back from success at sometimes it's my ability to be so stubborn and pigheaded that finally did drive me to be success. So I don't want to walk away from those characteristics completely, but I think if I'd been able to let go of my own need for success instantly and, and, and say maybe hunt with some other people or ask for some more mentorship from people and not feel like if I didn't figure out how to go and do it, myself on public land, anything less than that wasn't good enough. I think I would have been more successful sooner. That's interesting you say that. And there's a couple of things that, um, I 100% agree on the macro uh, and and kind of even on the micro, like you, you can say like your experience or your exposure to, to elk hunting was like all of these you know, YouTubers or whatever. Like, and so you do see the highlight reel in a lot of great degrees. And the same way, like I grew up watching Primo's videos or Wayne Carlton videos. So I saw the highlight reel too. And I think like what you learn along the way is that there's a bunch, like not everything pans out. So like, it doesn't always have to be this, this same storyline that someone else puts on YouTube. Right. But it also like, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't get put on the internet of like all the, like, I don't know, like just the way, not every call in is the same. Like not everyone you set up and like they come in and it's 30 yards. Like sometimes it's a little bit of chaos and there's some running involved and like all this stuff that never really makes a cut. Right. Um, and it'd be like, you know, when you watch the news, it's only, well, it's only the bad things, but like, it's only like the highlights. Right. And you don't see the nuance in the day to day. Uh, and I think that, I think there's a lot of people that can get lost in that as well. But another thing you said is like, um, and I'd be, I'd be curious what your thoughts are on this because I mean, you've excelled at a lot of different things. And so when I think about, you know, if I want to become good at something or say, I want to take a project and I'm like, I need to succeed at this. Um, it's easy to look like, say I take a business, I'm launching a new business and I, I say, okay, what success looks like. And obviously the first thing that comes to mind is a number figure or uh, a user number or whatever. And I, it's easy to get lost in that. But the, but the concept is like, if I was coaching myself and, or you were coaching me, you'd tell me like, no, you need to work, 
execute the fundamentals well, right? And so when I look at your stone sheep hunt or a big elk hunt, it's like, yeah, the end goal is to kill a 350 bull, right? But in order to do those things, that's not exactly a goal that you have a whole bunch of uh, control of the outcome. What you do have the outcome or control of the outcome of is executing well, right? And so like when I say like, let's go on a stone sheep hunt, you could say, okay, here's the five fundamentals that should, in theory, lead to a successful hunt, right? And we're going to kill a 350 bull uh, if we can execute all of these and capitalize on the opportunity we get, right? And so, like, judging yourself based on the fundamentals is so much more important than just, like, setting this dreamline and, and shooting for it, right? I mean, would you agree? I would, and I would take it one step further that you need to check your assumptions on what the fundamentals actually are. Oh, yeah. Because if we oh, want to yeah. get into the actual tactics of, of why I failed. So I had this romantic notion of like these long backcountry trips where you're like, you put 10 <laughs> days on your back and you went in and you didn't come out until you were out of food. And for anyone curious, this is a terrible way to hunt elk. But I thought that was how you backcountry hunted. So literally for the first several years of my elk hunting career, that was how I hunted. And it wasn't until I discovered bivy hunting and like the concept of like, okay, I'm going to get out of this trailhead. I'm going to just crush ground for three days. I'm going to sleep wherever I end up at night. I'm going to wake up and I'm just going to crush ground again the next morning. And if I don't hit like the mother load of sign or hear like monster bugles, I'm back in the truck. I'm up the road to the next trailhead and I'm crushing more ground. Right. That was the single biggest shift in the way that I hunted elk and it turned failure to success. But because I didn't have mentor, because, you know, and maybe that's kind of stuff was out there on, on YouTube. I'm sure it was, but you know what it's like when you hear stuff, but you don't hear it. And you kind of have to have these experiences before it like really lands right, for right. you. And I would argue that bivy hunting is one of the fundamentals. Like anytime somebody calls me and I'm, I'm the last guy that should be giving elk hunting advice, but when they do, <laughs> One of the things I say is it's, it's a bivy hunting, you know, 90% of this stuff, unless you're doing like a fly in lake hunt or something like that, like your job, because elk, I think moved it. They're not like, they can be on this side of the mountain one day and the next side of the mountain the other day. And if you just happen to be on the opposite sides of that mountain on the wrong day, you're just wasting your time. Right, Whereas right. I, I, I don't think other animals aren't quite as, I, I don't know if you, it's not I mean, nomadic's like not the right word, but it's a close enough word. It's something. And what's the other word when, um, it's not like migratory because they do, they are seasonally migratory, but they're also like, even in the rut, like if oh, yeah, you they find the rest. area where they are right now, because right. they cover right. such vast tracks that if you just miss them, it's like, and there's a difference between looking for the elk and hunting an elk. And that was another major mistake I, I had made. Like the moment I got out of the truck, I was in hunting mode. Yeah. Because like yeah. I'm used to deer hunting for blacktail in the coastal mountains of BC where it's like there could literally be one 50 yards away and you would never know it. Whereas like elk are completely different. Like you can walk around, you can be making some cow calls. You could probably be talking to your friend. Like a, a little bit of noise is not really going to bother an elk like it will a blacktail deer. And if you're trying to be in hunt mode from the moment you get out of the truck, you're never going to cover the ground you need to cover to actually find elk. So like, for instance, those are two tactics that I would, I would think are both like fundamentals of hunting elk that it took me almost five years to learn because I didn't have the right systems in place 
to check my assumptions. And I was operating on a false set of fundamentals. Uh, man, that, that is like the, I think the number one biggest reason people don't kill elk is they spend all their time trying to just hunt an yeah. elk, right? They're just walking around the woods. Like any minute there's going to be an elk that's going to pop out and I'm going to shoot it. And I think, you know, it's always interesting to me because I do think that the people who are out there to just kill, you know, they want to kill a bull, right? Like they just, they just want a decent, uh, mature bull. So, that could be anywhere on the mountain. Whereas the day I was only hunting herd bulls, like it was like, I would run into raghorns and five points all the time. And I try to tell people this, but they never believed me. I was like, the day you start looking for like the biggest bull in the unit and for two reasons, like you're going to start seeing elk everywhere because at the end of the day, you're only looking for like a herd of elk. So automatically you're not wasting time by checking every drainage or like cow calling and just like the amount of time you need to just be covering ground and looking for like a herd of elk to find where the pocket is. Because like, it's, it's not like deer where they're like, there's kind of scattered all over the mountain. This is the rut. We're talking about one herd of elk and that's gathered all the raghorns and all the things. And like, yeah, there might be a couple of cows here or there, or a couple of raghorns, but by and large, I don't care about those. I'm just like, I'm looking for the mass herd, right? I'm, I'm just going to cover ground as fast as I can. Right. And I think there's like a couple pieces of this. One of my buddies was uh, just in my office the other day. We were talking about turkey hunting. I was like, oh, hey, how'd turkey hunting go, Corey? And he's like, oh, he's like, you know what? I think I figured out my problem with elk hunting. He's like, when I go turkey hunting, I just don't care. Like I'll call in anything. If I bump it, it doesn't matter. I'm there to have a good time. And he's like, I, I you know, I just don't care. And I get into turkeys every time we turn around. And he's like, but when I go out in the elk woods, I'm like, so on edge. And I'm so worried about killing that elk that I screwed up myself. They were like, you know, I don't know what to do. I was like, Oh, should I go here? Should I go there? And I was like, man, like that is hit the nail on the head. Like if you went out in the woods, like every elk was a turkey and you didn't care whether it came in or not, you'd be amazed at how many times you accidentally get within 30 yards of an elk. Cause it's just like all the time. Um, and that's like, it's so hard to do though, because like fundamentally you can know that in your head, but it's really hard when you're like on your seventh elk hunt and you're like, Oh yeah, just, just treat it like it doesn't matter. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> And the fact that I think the game is rigged because, you know, for most people, you're getting out for that one big trip a year. Right. And so they've created such immense pressure on themselves and then they get the paralysis by analysis and they like can't make decisions because there's too many decisions in front of them and they're too worried about the consequences. I think that's a huge part of it. Right. Do you think it's going to make a difference? Because uh, when, uh, let me finish that. Do you think it'll make a difference when you take, you know, your your dad hunting? For example, like when I, I've noticed, and I've been a solo hunter for a very long time because I've noticed I make different decisions. If, even if you, like you're, you're with me, I know, like, there's no way in my, in my head, I can logically say that, like, there's no way it's going to matter how far we hike. He's going to keep up with me, blah, 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 blah. But I make different decisions in my head just based on someone being with me. And I've, I've always struggled with that. So do you think it's going to make a difference when you take, you know, your dad or someone? A hundred percent. And the funny thing is, while I was worried about it being like a deficit, like it making things harder for me, I think by taking some of the pressure off. So a little more context, I'm taking my brother with me as well. My brother's never gone hunting and my old man's only ever been out West hunting once. My brother did go tree planting with me for a few years. So like he can walk around the bush. He's not an idiot. But these are not, we're not even talking like intermediate. Like I'm not going to be able to say to these guys, I'll meet you over in that drain. It's going to be very much like we're all together and I might sit <laughs> you in a place and leave you alone for a while and come back and get you. 
but it's not like I'm going to be able to send these guys their own or anything like that. And I've already started, you know, when having a young daughter is really helping with this because when I take her camping and we're doing our first overnight scouting trip this year, she's six. I have to remind myself constantly that the, the primary win is fun. The secondary win is just being outdoors because I'm trying to Jedi mind trick her that when we're out in the woods, everything's fun. There's snacks, there's an iPad, the bed is cushy, the, the tent is nice and warm, like everything's great so that every time I bring up the outdoors, she's like, oh, I want to go back there because everything I remember about that is like fun and pleasurable. And then I'm sneaking in like the little lessons and the little challenges and the little obstacles, right, right. you know, and I, and I'm already trying to right size my mind with my dad and my brother, because I know to them, their priority is a family trip with the boys. I only have one brother. We've never gone on a hunting trip together with my father. It was a big deal when I was a kid to go hunting with your dad. And for them to go in the, in the wilderness of BC for 10 days with the family, they're not going to give a shit what happens. They're going to be so right, like, it's just right. going to be, and I need to realize like I'm the one that will go psychotic because <laughs> I can't live with myself if we don't. And I'll, I'll mess the trip up because I'll get too goal focused. So I'm already putting myself like, listen, if it's not the crack of dawn and we're a little bit late on the on morning, or if these guys need to rip to town and do a night in a hotel and eat a steak in the middle of the hunt, like screw it. Like we're going to have a good time. We'll, we'll hunt hard and we'll hunt long, but it's going to be reasonable. And I almost think it's funny. You mentioned like the Turkey example. Cause I think by doing that, I might actually increase my odds because I'm not going to be running around like such a maniac. And I might be a little more methodical and just a little more relaxed and laissez faire about things. Yeah. I, I think there's a very real possibility there. Um, but you know, it's like, it's all a matter of it. it and some of this boils down to luck is like, you got to be able to find elk to hunt elk. Um, and you know, the other example is like, Elk are where they are, not where you want them to be. And I think oh, that's a huge, dude. <laughs> huge gospel. So many so new ones to make. It, it, it's so true. So here was the thing. I kind of had one when I'd had my set, my, my heart set on this fly in hunt for the caribou. So when that got canceled, I immediately started to pivot to like, Hey, where can we fly in for elk? And like, there are spots, but it's like, by no means is that like the most popular or most successful. But in my head, I had the vision of where I wanted them to be and what I wanted the hunt to be. And it took a good friend because I sent him a text and told him what was going on. And I'm like, what do you think, man? I'm like, here's what I'm thinking. And he calls me and he was very diplomatic. He's like, listen, man, you could, you can do this. Like, yep, that's an option, but let me put something else on the table. You know, and he's got a couple spots and he, I won't get into like general location stuff, but he's like, listen, man, it's not going to be the hardcore get dropped off at a lake. Don't see another living being for 10 days. And you might end up running into some, some other dudes on some quads and, and, and have a little more like traditional BC hunting experience. But I think what we ought to really do is map out like seven or eight really good spots all in like a three or four hour kind of range you load up the truck, you put a quad on the trailer, you pack the cooler, you bring the wall tent and you just bounce, man. We'll plan a little route. You start at the top, spend a day or two here, bounce down another day or two. There. It was like, that's what I needed to hear because like, that's how you're going to find and kill elk in BC. And it might not be the romantic vision of this like isolated lake way up by the Yukon border well, and definitely won't be that far up. Um, 
But again, it's about right-sizing expectations and about like just taking the romantic vision and like letting reality play its role. Yeah, hundred percent agree. And it's you know even even for us down here, like say in Montana, this is very true because like a part of you, a big big part of you wants to go hunting and not see people. That's a huge yeah. huge piece of it. And like I I miss those days. Don't get me wrong. But the more times I try to chase that, I end up chasing no elk, you know, and it's like, it's just a, it's a hard fact that, you know, efficiency kills and you can't be efficiency when you're not seeing people like, that's just like, that's the truth of it is like, you can find nooks and crannies. You you might, you know, there's places where you're going to run into people and not see elk. Um, There's going to be places where there are elk, but it's not worth hunting them because the people have them so stirred up. It's just finding that balance of like, yeah, I'm seeing people, but no one's really hunting and these elk are not boogered, you know? And it's like, sometimes that's more obvious than, than even we want to believe. Cause it's like, on one hand, I can hunt a spot that's two or three miles in and there's people hiking all over. I see people all over in there and, and there's a herd of elk in there. I'm out. Like I'm bouncing. Like I just don't have time to mess with elk that are getting messed with by other people at the same time. Yep. Whereas I know plenty of elk that I'm watching from the pickup dude. And like, there's people driving all over, but for whatever reason, nobody is like hunting those elk probably because they think everyone else is, but no one is right. And like, these are elk that I'm, I need to focus on. It's not the romantic backcountry. Like I went in 10 miles and yep. killed elk and came out. And, and it's just like in today's day and age, Backcountry hunting has gotten so popular that, I mean, I've been back 15 miles and seen nothing but people. And it's like, I've saw more people 15 miles in than I did, you know, at the trailhead. And so it can feel like everyone is in the same spot. It can feel like there's elk there, so you should hunt them, right? But at the same time, like it's finding that balance. I'm, you know, rarely are you going to find the perfect balance of like this remote, you know, dream Aspen patch where elk are bugling and no one's there unless it's like a once in a lifetime tag, but you know, it's just that balance. And I think being, like you said, being realistic with yourself about like, okay, do I want to kill elk or do I want to have a romantic backcountry experience? Cause I can have an awesome romantic backcountry experience in July and no one's there. And then I can go hunting and kill an elk. So I can have my cake and eat it too. But I think too many people get wrapped around, you know, wrapped around the axle about like, Oh, I want this backcountry experience. Like, you know, I get it. Like it, it's a thing, but there's no reason that, you know, you have to combine your elk season. Like, especially if you only get one week of elk season. And I also don't think it has to be an either or situation. Like I, 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 I'm lucky. I get to go on four or five decent trips a year. One of my big things is I think most people can, I think it really is a matter of strategically approaching your life. You know, if this is a priority, There's a way to make it happen for regular people with regular jobs. You just got to be willing to put in the effort and sacrifice what is required. But let's say you do get to that point where you can do four or five trips a year. I've started looking at my calendar. Like I have several different things that I want to get from hunting. I'm not going to get every single one of those on every single hunt. So each hunt is going to satisfy a different side of my hunting personality. Like normally spring bear is for fellowship. Go up to my buddy Lander's place. I stay at his house every night. We normally don't go out until two or three in the afternoon. It's relaxed. It's laid back. There's lots of hanging out. It's, 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 it's fun. 
but I'm like hunting logging roads and like, it's not like hard by any stretch of the imagination, but it's a blast. And I see my good friends and it's like, and then I realized a lot of the failure, a lot of the experiences I was trying to have elk hunting are experiences that you should be having when you're sheep hunting. And I'm lucky enough in BC that I can get an over-the-counter tag. So I, I, I recognize that not everybody listening is, is in that position. However, I do think there are, you know, interesting things like, you know, odd dad tags in New Mexico. It's like, there's ways to like, what I'm saying is that, you know, even deer is better. Like, look at August, you like high country deer hunting in August. Anybody can go do that over the country. And it's like, you can go 12 miles in, you're not going to see that many people. And you're going to have like a really challenging backcountry hunt. So I think the takeaway is instead of trying to satisfy everything with every hunt, look at your year as a calendar and say, how am I going to feed each of these pieces of myself through a variety of, of different hunts that all bring something different to the table? Like I, I recognize I've spent too much time by myself and I'm not an expert by any means. I, I'm, I'm decent at being in the backcountry because I was in forestry for so many years and I have a debt to the community because they've been good to me. And now it's my responsibility to start like figuring out how to every now and then bring somebody with me that hasn't done that before. And I recognize like that was a hole in my calendar. So I got to figure out a way to every now and then, you know, fix that. And that's great advice. I'm, it's something I, I stick to too, is like, you know, you can have a whole bunch of hunts. You can have the backcountry. you can have the friends, you can have, you know, the solo trip, you can have like all those, like some of them are going to be new adventures. I like to go, you know, somewhere new because to me, yeah. like going somewhere new and I really like pairing somewhere new with the whole backcountry thing, because it's, it's another variable of unknown, right? It's like, yeah. it's like, I'm going to test myself on a solo thing, but I also don't even know where I'm going. And I also yeah. don't know what's going to happen. You know, so I like that aspect of it and a hundred percent agree that elk is probably the worst to, in, to try to bring out solo and uh. unknown. 10 miles and all these things. Cause it's like, it's the heaviest animal you could think of. And like, you don't want to shoot one 10 miles back, trust me by yourself. No. Not a good idea. Um, so no, I hundred percent agree. Um, yeah, I don't know. So are you, are you planning any trips back to lower 48 for elk hunting in the coming oh, future? Yeah. Well, the nice thing is too, I've been stacking bonus points for the last <laughs> few years. So like things are starting to get pretty creamy. Like I know they drop tags in Wyoming, but I think I'm a back up to like four or five or six points there. I'm back oh, up wow. to three or, three or four in Montana. Like I got, give me tags. One of my ideas for next September, cause I'm like locked in Montana and Wyoming. And typically what I do is I'll shoot the moon in like an Arizona or Nevada for like something crazy. And if I get it, everything else goes right. to the wayside. That's what happened that year in New Mexico. When you pulled unit 36, it's like, okay, I don't care what happens the rest of the year. Like this is, this is odd. I'll shoot the moon in one of those bigger places. But I think what I'm going to try and do is, um, go in for over the counter in, uh, well, they're not over the counter, but general season tags for elk in both, um, Montana and Wyoming and then try and take like at least three weeks and just come down and do like just one big ass elk trip. And there's a, it, it's frustrating because it's so easy to apply for. And I've had a couple of friends where I'm like, just get a point because I'm at the point now where I'll split my points. Do you know what I mean? Like, let's, yeah. let's go. And like a couple of people have just been too lazy to do it, but there's, there's a dude or two who maybe we'll still get a point this year and then I'll, I'll bring them with me. But that would be, that's one of my, 
Because, like, listen, here's the deal. BC is great, but it's also kind of a hellhole. Like, hunting in BC is some of the gnarliest hunting I've ever done. And even some of the gnarliest landscapes I've, I've ever been on for work or otherwise. I lived in Australia for two years. Like, I've been in a lot of places in the world. And there's, I don't know, man, there's just something about, like, you know, Montana and Wyoming and even down in New Mexico, like the elk hunt, there's just, a, it's, it's just more pleasurable. I don't know how to put it. And I don't want to say you guys have it easier or it's still super it's challenging. Pleasurable. <laughs> Dude, it's just so good. Like the weather's better. The terrain's better. The vegetation is better. Like it's, it's just a more fun hunt, man. Like, like running around after bulls in Montana and Wyoming is just a blast and you can get shit on there just like anywhere else. But yeah, so that's my big goal. And as the years go on, as my daughter gets older, my wife is like more and more accepting. Like first it was like five day trips. Now it was seven day trips. Now I'm up to a 15 day stone sheep. And I've already kind of like, I'm like, so if like everything got taken care of and like you had a little bit of childcare help, if I disappeared for like three, four weeks next September, I mean, is that, is that on the table? <laughs> and she's like, Oh, we probably make that happen. So it's <laughs> like, yeah, I just got to work in my way in there. But that's the plan. That's the plan for next year, man, for sure. So when you when you look at like Montana or Wyoming, wh- what are what are your goals? Like, what what would you want out of a hunt? You know, are you like six point? Or are you like I just want a great experience? Or like, what where are you at in that? I think now that and my my elk is behind me, and I I I, I wouldn't even have a clue what he scores. He's that's a, a good decent, He's a decent six point. Yeah. Um. I wouldn't want to shoot anything that I wouldn't be like, I'm not killing stuff just to kill stuff anymore. I don't feel like I need to do that. But I, my, I also, I know where I'm at and I know what elk hunting on public land is like, do you know what I mean? So, and I hate this kind of like bullshit copo, but like a healthy, mature representation of the species. And if that's a big, heavy five, it's a big, heavy five. If it's a, a kind of small six, but he's a little bit older, then it's a kind of small six and he's a little bit older. Like I don't really have, I'm not at that point with elk where I feel like I have some big number to live up to or like one would be a failure or, or another. If I was, you know, if I saw a nice six on day one, I'm drawn. <laughs> yeah. So like with, with your experience at hunting kind of all over, as you think about, like, let's just say hypothetically you were coming down here and I do want to talk a little bit about your hunt up there, but if you were coming, let's just say Montana, like how does, how did you go about planning it maybe differently than other people? So I'll, I'll, I'll just give a plug. I'm a big go hunt guy. I, I don't have a relationship with them at all, but I find the way they have things laid out, how they've tied in the kind of points with the mapping and then the little write-ups and like most of those guys are pretty good about getting back to you. If you have questions, I think you need to take anything that is written in public with a grain of salt. (laughs) Um, I'm a big math guy. And so I love looking and comparing things. Like if I got down to two or three units, I'm like taking harvest statistics and hunter days. And I'm like literally looking at ratios and like trying to use that to help like sway myself between two or three units. Um, and this is kind of weird, but like social media is a pretty great tool. I'm also, 
I've been doing the podcast long enough now, and I think I've put out enough content to build some credibility. Like I'm not a douchebag. I'm a guy that likes to hunt hard, work hard, and I'm willing to help other people. And I find now when I say I'm going someplace, it's not uncommon for somebody to reach out. And like, they're not telling you like what trailhead to park at, but like people are giving you some like good general advice. You know what I mean? So I typically start the filter with like, what would I qualify for? And it's like, okay, we're going over the counter. So then I would, I would turn all units off that I'm ineligible for. And then I'm starting to look for something like, I'm a business guy, competitive advantage. What do I have going for me that most other hunters don't? Coming from BC and coming from forest, forestry, it's my ability to navigate without trails. Because that's one thing we don't really have in Canada that you do have. Even most guys who go in the backcountry in down in the lower 48 are walking on a trail to get into the backcountry. That, unless you ran on a horse trail, like the vast majority of British Columbia is just a wall of vegetation. And so the ability to go through that. So I'm going to look for areas that aren't heavily trailed because then I'm going to have an advantage over somebody else because I feel com- comfortable navigating without trails. Um, and then just draw statistics like, or, or like harvest statistics. Like where do I have a statistically higher likelihood? And also looking for those anomalies because harvest statistics can sometimes if you're not taking into account the size of the unit or the number of hunters sometimes there's units that actually have fewer bulls but when you start looking at you're like wait a minute like some of the statistics are way higher in this unit they just don't look like it at first glance so that's typically that's typically how i look at that's interesting can i can i riff on that for a second like i don't want to beat you up but i hear this a lot so I'm the opposite. So I would okay. make every, everything you said, I'm not saying everything you said is wrong. I'm saying everything like you no, went I after. This is I how we check assumptions, man. Uh, <clears throat> well, and this, this happened the other day and someone was uh, talking to me about uh, uh, Utah because we were talking about spike cow tags and they were talking about any bull. And they're like, well, the, the statistics for, uh, for, um, uh, success rates were higher on the any poll. And I'm like, that's a, it's a false dichotomy, first of all, because like how many people are actually trying on the cow tag? So how many right. people got the tag versus how many we hunted? Like that's not, that's not in there. Right. And so like the other thing you kind of, you did make mention of this, that, that statistics can be uh, a false positive in that. Like if you have a unit with a bunch of, of tags or whatever, and you have a bunch of elk that it's not the same as if there's like a lower percentage. Right. And so like, success rate based on total number is important. Um, but also there's like a lot of nuance within that, in my opinion, because I'll look at, I'll, and I, I learned this by looking at like units I know very well. And I'll be like, well, why do people, why is this the, you know, kill ratio higher in this unit than that? You know, I'm like, that unit sucks. I'm like, okay, but why? And so I start looking at it. Right. And then I was like, okay, here's the variables. And so, and I like go hunt. I stopped using it because I noticed that it funnels everyone in the same direction because we like, we, we are humans and we all look, and this is the one thing that like Onyx is guilty of this as well. So like nobody's really uh, clear of this, but it's like, we create systems that are very, very easy to use. We make it easy for humans to find the information, right? That's the goal because we want the human to go, Oh, I love this system that uh, this person built because it, it shows me everything I need to know. But what it also does is like, it basically, 
it's like a cattle funnel, right? It's just funneling all the cattle right into the same things. And so I actually stopped using go. I still like I'll look or whatever um, to check some things, but but I've noticed that like it was just funneling everyone into the same thought patterns, right? And like they're filtering, it just makes it really easy. And so I, I kind of got away from that. I'm not totally against it. Um, I think it's a really great tool if you don't know the state at all. Or if you're coming from out of the country, right? You're going to look at him like, oh man, this, this shows me a lot, um, but it doesn't show everything. And, you know, like you said, it is nice. It has descriptions, but I can, I look at units that I know very well and be like, that is not accurate. And I was like, okay, well, what else are we missing here? Um, and then one of the things I've tried to do over the last few years is every time I try to think, what are all the other humans going to do? Because I'm not hunting the animal based on, no other humans. I'm hunting the animal based on what everyone else pushes them to do. And this right. is like, you go on a hunt and you get there and all of a sudden, like there's people everywhere, trucks everywhere. It's an army of orange. And then instantly I'm in the maps. I'm in the maps. I'm like, okay, what, what are they not seeing? What am I? And I'm like, okay, back up. Before I go on this hunt, I'm going to look and say, okay, what are my first three thoughts and that's probably what everyone else's first three thoughts too, because we're humans and we all look at this map the same damn way. Um, yeah. I do like that piece you have about like, what am I uniquely, uh, what do I have a unique advantage in? And so I do think there's a lot of merit within that. But I first thing I do is I basically cross out the three things that I think everyone's going to do. And, okay. and I say, okay, what is that going to cause the animal to do? Like, where are the animals going to go? Like if they were there, and people go there, where are they going to go? And then where are they going to go? And it's like working backwards to figure out because I was just on so many hunts, man. And I was like, just getting my ass kicked by so many people. And then eventually right at the end of the hunt, I would figure it all out. And it was like, right. okay, I found where there was a hole and I, I made it work. And so like, I really focus on trying to find that hole on, on day two, maybe day one, I hunt where they were, you know, where they're going to be. But day two, I'm like, right to let's say plan C or D or E. <laughs> and I, I try to work backwards from there. Um, when I think about, uh -huh, and this is not, not right or wrong or whatever, um, my advice would be like, what experience do you want first? And so I say like, okay, do you want the mountain experience? Do you want the flats experience? Do you want the long hike? You know, it's kind of what we talked about. Like you can have all these experiences, yep. but like, what is the experience you want out of this elk hunt? And if the number one goal is to kill an elk, that's fine. Uh, that's the experience. Right. And I always think about that. And so, um, I'll, I'll look at that first. And then like, I try to almost take out all the, you know, go hunts like 350 bull or 320 bull. And I just right. like, I really try to get away from that. If I want to just kill any elk, I'm looking for high numbers. If I want to kill a big elk, I'm looking for low numbers. And that's counterintuitive. I don't really care what the success rate is. I'm actually looking for less elk, less people, because I know that creates age class. Okay. What's your thought on that? Since I beat you up and was like, you're completely wrong. <laughs> I love it. it. The day I can't admit I'm wrong. And it's like, listen, man, I know, I know where the experience, you know, um, lies in this conversation. Here's an interesting story because I think I've been able to apply what. So I deal with human behavior and human bias for a living right. and we are drawn to data. It makes us feel comfortable. And I can even see in myself as this conversation unfolds, it made me feel comfortable because it gave me this false sense of confidence. So in my sheep hunting kind of journey, you start by cruising all the forums. And what you realize pretty early on is that they all, there's like these few major lakes 
that like everybody keeps talking about. And there's this uh, expression in sheep hunting, don't hunt dead sheep. <laughs> I was about to say it. Which is like a tattoo I want to get on my forehead. Because right. it's like, and that's what I tell people every time they, they email me for a spot or like where I went and killed something. It's like the only thing you know when somebody kills something is that there's now one less thing there than yeah. there was before. That's all that, that that's telling you. And so with my sheep hunting, I completely backed up. And I said, okay, all these big lakes that everybody keeps big X's on the map, you're gone. I'm not allowed to go to any of these places. And then I actually started to try and get, like, I know based on like bio and geo data, where the actual extents of the sheep ranges are. And then like, how can I get as far away from these other pop popular places as possible? And then build myself a multi-year plan to like cover as much of that ground as possible. And the reason I had to do that is there's no data. Like we don't have anything like go hunt in BC. Like right. there's some weird kind of harvest data, but they don't even record that stuff. Like, nope, for the most part, there's no harvest questionnaires. And sometimes you fill them out and sometimes you don't. They don't even really like the level of wildlife management in, in BC is abysmal compared to the quality of, of data that you guys, but I think it's, I think it's a super valid point, man, because I think, and I also like, look at sheep hunters, like newbie sheep hunters. What do they do? They go, Oh, look, you know, Oh, a sheep got killed here. Let's yeah. go there. And it's like the main place. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I can show you areas on the highway, like in, in Northern BC where there will be like 40 pickups parked come August 1st and like 40 dudes are going to walk in the exact same horse trail and head up into the exact same basins. You know what I mean? And kind of like pinball. Dude, that's the way I feel about elk hunting is like, yeah, I can almost like write the script out based on like all these tools. And, and like I said, Onyx is as guilty as this. Like you have to learn, you, you have to, you have to use these tools. And it's not that the tools are inherently bad. It's that you have to understand that every human is just like you. You're not a special snowflake and you see all the same things. So you have to like consciously go out of your way to look for something different, right? If we're all looking at the same data and that's the thing is like, you know, I, I think that new hunters get this like false security that they're going to be better at data than uh, some dumb redneck. But the fact is that dumb rednecks are pretty good at looking at data. Yeah. <laughs> And so like, you have to be able to like, okay, how do I look at this differently? You know, if everyone else is looking for high elk numbers, maybe I should look for low elk numbers because that's going to mean low hunter numbers. And that's going to mean age class. Right. And so like, just like that simple, that simple thing right there is like, everyone in the world is like, oh, this, this uh, unit's over objective. This unit's over objective. I can tell you that those three units are going to be the highest number of people. Right. right. And those elk are going to get like, there's still places for those elk to go. They're going to get pushed onto some private um, or whatnot. Right. And then the other piece of this is like, not a lot of people go and check every single outfitters website. Right. That's a simple one. Like screw all the like reporting data, go check an outfitters website. He brags about big bulls. Like that's his right. job to brag about big bulls. So you kind of get a little idea of what's in there. Um, and there's some truth to that. And there's some, like, there's some downsides to that, but I mean, that's a simple one, right? And like, nobody's doing that. Yep. Yep. hundred percent, man. Yeah. I think it, the hardest thing is like trying not to do what everyone else does. That's the, that's the hardest piece. It's like, you want to just like go at this thing you see, but it's, I don't know. It's, it's hard not to. Well, and it was funny thing, even with my sheep hunt, like I, I'm, I'm lucky enough through the podcast and through like just personal acquaintance, you know, like a couple like legitimate gangster sheep hunters. 
And I keep wanting to call them and be like, hey, here's my plan. And I keep stopping myself because I'm like, there is no win in that plan. Because A, if they've never been anywhere before, if they've never been in my area before, they're not going to be able to add any, any confidence. And all I'm looking for is for somebody, because I think you need to be comfortable being, you need to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Like you need to be okay with the lack of confidence. Like, and I think that's why you're okay with your plan because you've had enough experience now to realize that by doing things counterintuitively, you have a disproportionately high likelihood of success. Right. And once that happens to you three or four times, you're like, okay, I feel, I feel good about this. The other thing that I kind of like with hunting is like live by the sword, die by the sword. I want to make the plan. Because again, if I follow, to, you know, to argue against my own kind of statistical leanings, if I make my plan based on my own interpretation of like the landscape or whatever, and I go out there and I'm wrong, at least I, at least I was the one who was wrong. Right. And it's right. not like, I didn't, you know, what if one of these other guys tells me, hey, just because the sheep were there two years ago, doesn't mean the sheep are going to be there this year. And then I got dropped off at a lake and walked around like an idiot for 15 days because of where somebody else told me to go. So that's the other thing that I think the longer I do this, the more that becomes important to me. Like if I'm got, I, instead of the false sense of confidence you get from having somebody tell you what to do, just m- make a decision and do what you think is the right thing. And then, you know, win or fail, at least, you know, it was, it was your decision and something you decided to do. I'll give you a piece of advice that a great sheep hunter gave me. Um, and it's, it's really good advice for elk hunting too. It's just, it's exponential when it comes to sheep, but it's, um, you know, it's back to the efficiency point. Like you have to be efficient between your glassing points and your, your areas. Right. right. Um, because you're the, in this, the, the reason it's exponential in sheep country is because like where I sheep hunt, you're, you know, it's 4,000 feet, you know, up and 4,000 feet back down to even play the game. And so it's not like you're like, Oh, I'll just slide over to this glassing knob, you yeah, know, yeah. Oh, let's back out and drive the truck around and go to that other spot. I kind of thought about, you know, just the sheer amount of calories and, and movement is uh, very time consuming, but that's also true in elk hunting, right? Like you, like when you lay these things out, it's easy to be like, Oh man, this looks kind of good. And this looks kind of good. And this looks kind of good. But it's like, I've had this where it's like, Oh man, now I'm driving like a hundred miles or and I was like, Oh, I can't get there by this next evening hunt or whatever. So efficiency and movement is like so big and that's big in sheep hunting. It's big in elk hunting. And I think it's one of the things that gets fairly overlooked, you know, like people want to just be like, yeah, I'm going to go in here. And if that doesn't work out, we'll go there. But it's like, if you can line out, I think the greats, you know, the really great hunters, they have an ability to like put their, like these six spots in a way that they can navigate that. So six spots very efficiently, um, and, and by doing so actually cover like that chunk of ground fairly well, right? Like they're glassing all of that ground, you know, they're getting to see it all. Um, and I think that's what people who spend a lot of time, you know, preseason scouting, it's, you know, like people always say, Oh, you need to put boots on the ground. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's good. But like, if you can lay this out on Google earth, like, I think you're far more productive and more efficient. Oh, dude, I'm even going to go one step further. I think several average spots beat out one great spot. Yes. Because I think you're like statistically you're, you're, you're increasing your likelihood of success. So I'm going to use my sheep hunt as an example. So last year we basically went into this area. I had two other dudes with me where it was like, uh, 
everything on red kind of deal. Like it was all or nothing. Like it was crazy hike, multiple days, you know, bush plane. And then once you got up in there, you were in Shangri-La. You know what I'm talking about? But like you could kind of glass everything from one spot. Right. And then you're sitting there for the next six days. And like right. after day two, it's like, I, I don't know, man. Like, I, And the problem was this isolated range was so far from everything else that it's like, uh, we got nothing. Like there is no plan B because it would take us so long to get somewhere else that there, there, there's no other options. And the best option is just to sit put because maybe something's going to come around this corner. So my priority was this year was like, I need to be able to daisy chain locations together. And I even took it one step further because I have this innate desire for punishment. So I, t- I was like, I'm going in for 15 days. What's the 15 day loop? And it was just the other morning when I was sitting in down to Google Earth and I literally plan out like, I'm going to hike here on day one and I'm going to camp. And like, here's my three glassing spots. I'm going to sit here for two days. I'm going to hike here. And it wasn't until I actually started to plot it out that I'm like, what I need to do is a series of smaller loops. Like I need to do a five or six day loop and I'm actually bringing a raft with me so that I can bounce across the lake and I need to do another. And then I'm like, how much more efficient am I going to be with five, six days gear on my back? Like last year when I went in for sheep, I had a 91 pound pack. Yeah. 13 days worth of food and full camera gear to film the whole thing. Batteries, yeah. multiple lenses, whole nine. Oh uh, yeah. If you're going to be dumb, you better be tough. Um, and it damn near killed me. And the thing is we were like, there was days when you only made it like two and a half miles because you were going up the side of a mountain. And with that kind of a pack, you're literally like a couple hundred yards, take a break, a couple hundred. It's like coming out heavy going in. And so I started to think to myself what I need to do. And I think these things, and I think that's why bivy hunting for elk is so successful because if we have defined a successful tactic as covering as much ground as possible, then being as light as possible I think Corey Jacobson is a great example of this. Dude rarely even camps in the woods, man. You know what yeah. I mean? Like he stays at the, at the, and he'll hike 15 kilometers in in the morning if he has to. Right. But he's literally hiking all day with a 20 pound pack. So the right. dude can just crush ground. So I think that's another, I, I agree completely. And I think you should literally, I also like removing decisions or removing the need to make a decision. Because that's a caloric cost. Every time you're faced with a decision, you have to stop. You have to doubt yourself. You have to assess all the circumstances. You're wasting time. So I will have at least three completely different plans. And I'll have them rank ordered from one through three. And if nothing goes wrong, I go on one. But if shit starts to fall apart, then it's like it's not a matter of thinking. It's like this plan's failing. What does the playbook say? The playbook says go to route number two. Okay, where's that GPS location? How do I get, okay, boom, I'm gone. Like it took me 10 seconds to come to that conclusion and I didn't waste time doubting myself to get there. No, 100%. I think decision fatigue is a huge thing. And I think it becomes more applicable, you know, on those 15 day solo backcountry hunts. Cause you know, that's when it's like, and, and I think it's even more like the way you said like, oh, I'm gonna do a 15 mile, mile loop. Those 15 mile loops, you're like, uh, do I, you know, do I keep on this? Do I, should I go up this canyon? And like, I think those smaller five days, you know, like sub plans, if you will, of like having three five day loops, like those are better because you're like, okay, this entire loop is not like something could go sideways and it doesn't mess up the entire 15 day thing. And then it's like 
everything after that becomes decision fatigue. Whereas the alternative would be like, okay, we're disengaging loop one, we're re-engaging loop two. Like, okay, let's work on this. And like, you can go from there. And like, once I get past loop three, then we'll decide on what I want to do. Maybe we'll just restart loop one. But like all of that, oh man, yeah, good stuff. Uh, decision fatigue is a real thing. I, I don't care what people say. Like, I don't care how tough you are. Like it'll wear on you, especially when you're so low in the backcountry. A hundred percent, man. So they did this study in a grocery store with two different grocery stores, same populations. They had a wall with three types of jam and a wall with 24 types of jam. And the wall with three types of jam crushed the wall with 24. Because when we are overloaded with choices, we defer choice. There's something else. Are, are, you, are you familiar with loss aversion? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. So for people who aren't as human beings, we feel the pain of a loss twice as great as the pleasure of a gain. And in layman's terms, that means losing 10 bucks feels twice as bad as finding 10 bucks. The issue is as human beings, we have escalation of commitment. So because we're so afraid to lose, the closer we get to losing, the more risk we take on, which is like back to your big loop theory, the deeper you get into a loop and the further it is back, the more likely you are to make bad decisions that aren't in your own best interest because you don't want to admit that this one big plan that's like your everything plan, if it's a failure, I'm screwed and I don't have anything else to do, you're actually creating a decision that's going to lead you to make, or you're creating a situation that's going to lead you to a, a greater likelihood of bad decisions. Right. And even like um, another, another piece of that, because you were talking, it was like, you said, okay, I'm going to sit on this. These are my three glassing spots for two days. I think this is really important to set those time limits because it's easy to get somewhere and be like, oh, there's nothing here. Maybe I'll just keep pushing. And it's like, I think when you set time limits for yourself, like it takes out the, should I stay here? Should I not? Should I stay here? Should I not? Um, that feel of the fear of missing out, right? Like the FOMO. So you can create your own FOMO by being like, oh, maybe I should go a little bit farther. Maybe I should go a little bit farther. And I was very guilty of this at a young age because I was too ambitious. And I was like, oh yeah, let's just go over the next ridge, over the next ridge. And like, oh, nothing here. Maybe I need to be over there. And it's like, when you set out and say like, okay, no, here's the plan. Like we're, we're glassing this, this draw or this canyon or these three, two canyons for two to three days. Like that's the plan, right? And like, there's some variance there, but I think, like you said, you, you take out so much mental fatigue by setting time or plans and timestamps saying like, okay, we're going to do this. I think that becomes very crucial for sheep because it's easy to sit there and be like, there's nothing here. And you could look at it for two days, but like all of a sudden, you know, day three, you're like, boop, oh, there's sheep, you know? And like, I think in my early days, it was very easy to be like, oh, just go a little bit more, a little bit more. And then like, I got through my whole week plan on day two <laughs> and it was like, okay, yeah. now what? <laughs> and I think this is like, you know, you're, you're hungry, you're ambitious, but uh, hunting requires a, a weird balance of like ambition, but also patience. Like you have to know when to be extremely fast. You have to be efficient when you're doing that. Like in finding elk or finding more so elk than sheep, but like when finding elk, you have to be go hard, cover ground, cover ground, which is counterintuitive to what we're saying. Like, no, I'm going to sit here for two days because sheep are different. They like, they'll just be in a mountain that you can't see or just appear. Right. And like, you have to be systematic. And so, yeah, it, setting these rules is really important. Yeah, man, I, I completely agree. I try and have a systems-based process for everything I do and try Love to get it. the subjectivity out of it because it's like, you know, on that one particular route I planned. So it happened to be an eight day route. 
And at my level of experience, I can't say that there's any one area on this route that has a higher likelihood of sheep than any other area. Like I'm looking at it, I'm like, this whole route, let's say, has a slightly above average likelihood of sheep. And so right, I literally right. just divided it by four. Cause I'm like, if I cover five miles a day, I can do this 20 mile loop in four days. And then I can spend two days at each camp spot. And like, listen, man, maybe the first one is so great. I, I spend three and I make it up by crud. Like you can still, you know, there's still right. a mental right. agility and you can change your mind based on things that you get exposed to. But I just think removing that need to second guess. I can remember, you know, I was elk hunting with my, with my buddy and I, I could tell he was like tired and he kept wanting to stop and talk about like, is this the best way where maybe we should go? And it like, finally on like day four, he's like, why do you never stop to discuss anything? And I'm like, doubt is the mind killer. Unless there's like a lightning strike from God telling me that the plan we're on is the wrong plan. How do I know any other plan is better than the plan we already made? So I'm just going to keep doing the plan we already made until I'm like forced to confront the fact that we need to go do <laughs> another plan. Because I, I really do believe that the, that self-doubt and uh, like stopping to overanalyze every, every little thing, it just like, it kills you out there. Oh, 100%. 100%. Um, all righty. Any closing advice on, you know, what advice would you give yourself uh, just starting out? Ask for more help and try and help others. I am a hardcore introverted person and I wish I'd been more comfortable joining some communities where I could have like built real relationships with people that sole purpose wasn't to garner hunting advice or get spots, but was to like learn about people that cared about the same shit I cared about and build relationships that would last a long time. Because in the end, I think it's through community that you end up being better at whatever it is that you want to do. And I got confused and thought that it was just a matter of like discipline and commitment. And it took me a long time to figure that out. Yeah. I was thinking of like the 10,000 hours is a way to do it. It's not the yeah. only way to do it. <laughs> um, awesome, man. Well, uh, I guess give a shout out to your podcast. What's the name of your podcast? Where can we find yeah, it? Mindful Hunter podcast. You can, you know, mindful underscore Hunter on Instagram. If you just Google mindful Hunter, my website will come up. YouTube is under the same name. If there's anything I can ever do or anybody's thinking about a guided, I would say if you're coming hunting in BC, but if you're not a resident, you know, you're not allowed to hunt here, but if anybody's ever considering a guided hunt or needs any local BC information, please reach out. I'm more than happy to help anytime I can. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate it. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in to the elk hunt podcast. If you love elk hunting content, tips and tactics, all that jazz, then go leave this podcast a review wherever you listen to podcasts at. Much appreciated. And if you're interested, go check out our Elk Hunt 201 course. It's a four-step system for doubling your success. It's a great resource, and it's going to make you a better hunter. I guarantee that, or we'll refund your money. Uh, if you don't get anything out of it, if you don't get $30 out of it, then we'll definitely refund your money. So go check it out. Link in the show notes.